Welcome to B2B Marketers on the Mission, a podcast for B2B marketers that helps you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. Each week, we talk to B2B marketing experts who share inspirational stories, discuss their thoughts on trending topics, and provide useful marketing tips and recommendations. And now, here's your host and co-founder of I'm Like Consulting, Christian Klepp. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Marketers and the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. So this is your host, Christian Klett. And today, I'd like to welcome a guest into the show who is on an important mission. And that mission is to create stronger data integrity for enterprise systems, as he likes to put it. So coming to us live from Provo, Utah, I believe it is, Mr. Verl Allen. Welcome to the show, sir. Great to be here, Christian. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. And it was really great to connect with you, Verl, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's dive in. Great. Okay. So Verl, you're the CEO of a company called Clarivine. So that's a company that helps leading brands to take ownership and control of their data um, from the start. So for today's conversation, let's uh, zero in on the specific topic of data integrity uh, for better B2B marketing. So in your experience, uh, what do you think causes uh, databases and data sets to become too fragmented for marketers to deliver results? Yeah, I mean, some of this, I think, is, is inherent in the structure of the way marketing organizations are actually structured themselves in the sense that we see in the enterprise, the average marketing organization has 50 plus point solutions. Each one of these point solutions has their own kind of data, if you want to call it data model. Um, and the way that they name data is different between applications. It's sometimes it's simple things, the way that they 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 are measuring performance and and what they're measuring. And other times it's the way that they're uh, writing and 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 uh, describing words. And in other cases, it's simply that there's a lot of missing elements in those applications that are specific to the business itself. Um, they don't they they are they're in sense abstracted because we've come to a world where, you know, everything's multi-tenant, everything's SaaS. And ultimately these companies are trying to, the, the software companies and vendors are trying to, to delineate everything down to the lowest common denominator. And what gets lost in there is a lot of the necessary elements that are very specific to the business that, that don't get captured in that data model. And there's also some big fundamental kind of shifts in the industry right now where on the B2B side, you know, the world for a long time on B2B was open web and IP address. B2C has dealt for a long time with kind of the walled gardens and dealt with this whole world that we're seeing now evolve around obfuscation and kind of the, go, the you know, IDs and cookie, third-party cookies going away. Um, B2B is going to have to face the same issue as you think about IP address and other elements that they've been using to, to target going away and, and continuing to go away over the next 18 to 24 months. Um, and it's going to be a different world. So it's a bunch of things. It's inherently in the stack. It's also changes in the industry and also the teams. Like you've got organizations that have global teams that are using different taxonomies or data models. Um, and so there's, there's some of this is around creating a common language across the business and across the kind of technology stack. And then also across what's going to become more and more prevalent on B2B side, really more walled gardens. Yeah, you brought up some really interesting points in the past couple of minutes. And if I understood you correctly, a lot of this also has to do, I mean, technology aside, also with the uh, the systems and processes that are either uh, in place or are yet to be implemented. Is that is that right? It is, that is correct. I think, oh. yeah, a lot of that, you know, we think of the world 
a little bit differently from data integrity. I think traditionally mm -hmm. enterprises have looked at data integrity as a problem that the data teams solve. Like they kind of, the, the, the business side kind of pushes the data problems down into the pipeline and down into the lake. And, and it, the, the view is that the data scientists, the data engineering teams, the data teams are going to, and data analysts are going to deal with these problems. The challenge is, is that, and this is where we come in, we have a very different view of the world, which is if you don't have a lot of that context and you don't have a lot of the business specific data that may not be captured in, in the application themselves, it's very difficult to add that after the fact because you're, there's a disconnect between those that are executing you know, campaigns or executing creative or, and other marketing initiatives with those that are kind of tasked with data cleanup and data quality. And so we view that as kind of inherently just structurally part of the problem. And we don't view data integrity and data quality as a reactive issue in the sense that that's the data team's responsibility. We kind of flip that around and say, hey, if we can, if we can enable the business side of the, the equation to be more proactive and have the tools necessary to add a bunch of that context, then a lot of the data quality, data integrity issues are kind of resolved at the front end of the problem here. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, it then becomes a collective responsibility if I understood you correctly, right? So it's not just the one specific business function, one specific department that's responsible for the data. That is correct. And, and if you look at the data out there, you know, Gartner and others have, uh, have a lot of yeah. data on this, which is many, most, the majority of organizations when they report out data strategy, they are lacking an enterprise-wide data strategy. You've got strategies, but what we what we believe is is really ultimately going to be a solve here is you have to create business-wide data strategies. That's not in place, and that means not it's not the data team's responsibility or it's not the business team's, but there's got to be alignment between the two, and there have to be the tools in place to help enforce and create some of these standards. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought up that point because that's a beautiful segue into the next question, which is a, around um, the common mistakes and misconceptions that organizations have when it comes to data integrity. And you alluded to it as well in the past couple of minutes. And uh, you know, please share your thoughts with us and tell us what you think organizations need to do to address what is clearly a very serious pain point. Yeah, I mean, again, historically we solved a lot of data problems and a lot of data quality issues with. ETL and really kind of it's a it's it's viewed as data cleanup. We're cleaning up data, and you know, one of the most finite assets and kind of areas in the business is around on the when you think about data analysts, data engineers, data scientists. That those resources are typically scarce, and to have those individuals assigned with responsibility for delivering data quality and data integrity is inherently part of the big problem. What 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 we see the world so differently in the sense that, you know, if you can help create a, con a common data language, you can allow that and put in the hands of the marketing organization tools to create that, tools to establish that and, and, and enable that. And a way to, to get that into the hands of the data science teams, data engineering teams, it eliminates a lot of the ETL and other processes that historically have, you know, uh, increase the, the time required to get to insights, increase the cost of actually achieving data integrity, and ultimately decreased, you know, with, with ETL, you're left to deal with what's available to you. And so we're hearing time and time again from our, a lot of our larger customers that have made investments in, in AI and machine learning is that the data sets that they're decisioning off 
are so small because of the lack of data quality and, and, and kind of lack of um, data integrity that, that they're seeing. There's a bunch of stuff they're having to throw out. And so, so ultimately you're, you're turning machines to decision off a much smaller set of data that, that gives you reliable results. But, but again, the variability and the, and, the, and the applications for that are limited because of the size of the data sets. So then, then it begs the question, I mean, not really begs the question, but it's paramount, of course, that you know, data hygiene, right? That that's something that needs to be practiced. It needs to be constantly enforced and monitored. Yeah, and again, but, but I even think data hygiene sort of implies we're fixing it after the fact. What we believe is if you really start with a belief that, how, you know, and we see this across the world, right? Where mm -hmm. as, as you, as complexity increases, if you're able to create standards yeah. and create um, and enforce those standards and manage those standards, and they're, they're enterprise-wide, the complexity of the problem, you're able to, to decrease the complexity and decrease variances across, you know, in this case, data. And that's how we kind of, that's how we see this, this world shaping up is you have to start with the end in mind and you have to be able to, to enforce and create those standards and then apply those standards uh, through the process of data hygiene. So to a very significant degree, um, prevention before detection as a word. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Right, okay. In your opinion, um, how can data deliver effective ROI for brands? Yeah, and I think this is something that companies are struggling and in, 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 in dealing with. And, and the way I see this is, I'm a big believer and a big fan that uh, of this notion that Enterprises with large sets of data are sitting on what is potentially a huge moat for them from a sustainability and defensibility perspective of their businesses. The challenge with these business that these organizations have, these large organizations, is taking data and turning it into insights and turning it into value. And so we've, we've sort of operated in a world where the scale of the data has now got to be a problem and become a hindrance to unlocking that value. And that's why I think in some cases you're seeing, you know, these companies not taking advantage of this and they're still facing disruption from smaller competitors who may be out innovating them on product and other, other kind of other uh, alternative ways to go to market and, and, and unique business models. But one of the things that I'm a big believer of is this notion that if you have the ability to take and leverage the scale of the the assets you have on the data side, it can be, and, and do it in a way that you are leveraging and creating quality in that data and creating insights, you have the opportunity as a, as a large organization to create these defensible moats. And, and so for, from our perspective, it's shortening that time to insight. It's expanding the set of data that you're decisioning off so that you're actually you know leveraging that larger set of data. And it's becoming very clear about enabling views of data across applications and across channels and across what, I'll call, what traditionally have been silos. Because if you're not able to do that, then these, these inherent scale advantages that I think organizations have, large enterprises have with data are just not available. You know, they spent years putting in place applications to automate processes, to automate um, and, and accelerate the, you know, the, the execution of campaigns, the, the, the personalization of them. But if you don't have the data to fuel those, it's really, really difficult to get the ROI that you're expecting out of those investments. And that's where I think there's a big opportunity for brands, particularly to larger, larger brands to really kind of take advantage of those, those scale opportunities. And again, but it's going to come down to 
how do you take that large, large data set and, and turn it into a huge benefit for the organization? And I, I think there's a lot of challenges what the companies are having. Again, like you talked, mentioned earlier about cleaning up this data and the relationships in the data matter. And that's really kind of where we come in and that's how we view the world. So I just have to throw that question out at you. Um, I had a gentleman on uh, a week ago or uh, two weeks ago that when we were talking about um, how AI can be leveraged or used for content optimization. And obviously um, we talked about data as well. So I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him. So in your opinion, from what you've seen, do you believe that if done properly, like you've been talking about in the past couple of minutes, do you believe that data can help to um, de-silo organizations? I do. With so here's the challenge I think that you're that mm -hmm. we're seeing, and this is the we have structured our organizations to operate in channels or swim lanes. Right. We've given them tools to operate within those swim lanes. If you have no way of bridging both organizationally across the people, and it's not just people across the channels in the marketing organization, but between what I'll call the creatives and the, the marketing folks and the data folks and the quants and the creatives, if you don't have a solution and you don't have a strategy that bridges the two, um, and you don't, have a, you don't have a strategy that bridges across these applications or channels, it becomes very difficult in the world we live in today where the fragmentation at the application layer, the fragmentation at the people layer, the fragmentation at the channel layer um, is so, so great that there ha you have to be able to bridge those. And that's really kind of what the reason I, I got into doing what we're doing and the reason and the problem we were trying to solve was really specifically around this, this challenge I think you're seeing. And so in order to do that though, you have to have a way to bridge or to connect these, if you want to call them data models across applications, across teams, across channels in a way that um, really allows better, richer relationships between those. And it's becoming more and more challenging when you think about identity going away, especially, you know, with third party cookies and, and a more heavy reliance on first party data. You have to be able to do richer analysis, which requires, you know, richer relationships in the data to, to achieve that. And that's kind of where, where, that's where we kind of, if you talk to our customers, that's really where we support them. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. And, uh, and I suppose um, the answer is um, that there is no one size fits all solution to any of that, right? Like it's, um, th does it depend on the dynamics within each individual organization? Probably does, right? It, it really does because, you know, we see it with, with our customers they have different, even if you think about the way some organizations are structured, they have different geographies yeah. that they're dealing with, the way they, their businesses kind of architect. They have different ways that they work with their agencies and data they get back from their agencies. Our solution really extends not only across applications and across teams, but also extends kind of their data model out into their agency partners, um, both on the, you know, like I'll call it the campaign side or the media side, as well as on the creative and content side. Talk to us about a... Um challenge that you and your team have been able to solve in the past uh, 12 months or so? I mean, like, it's not something that you're comfortable sharing with the audience. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and people probably have talked about this in the past, but it's something that we faced head on. So mm -hmm. we saw a situation during COVID where in the enterprise, there was kind of a stall with budgets for, you know, back in the kind of middle of, near the middle of 2020 we were at a point where we were actually out in the market actively raising a round of capital. Um, 
and there were there was a bunch of stuff happening at once. It was the way that organizations, um, enterprises are are buying and purchasing um, applications and pur- purchasing uh, solutions. The shift that we had with our team going remote, and then kind of having to fundraise in the middle of all that, and you know, one of the big things that that I think for us has been a huge benefit is we were sort of architected from the beginning remote, in the sense that we had a team. Even on my leadership team, I had um, two of the two of the other members of my leadership team was on the East Coast, and one was in Denver, and so we as we quickly shifted to going remote over the last twelve months. We've been able to not only kind of be able to keep the team engaged, but we've onboarded about uh, 50% of our, our current employees today during COVID. And so for us, being able to onboard those individuals, create engagement, actually get them um, productive quickly, actually ensure that they we retain them in this environment that we're seeing today where there's a huge, huge... Um, kind of battle going on for talent. We've been very fortunate in our retention rates are very, very high. We've really not lost anybody in the last year. And we've been able to onboard to get people productive very quickly. But it takes an intentional approach to that because we've had to change the way that we think about onboarding because a lot of that was happening, especially on the engineering side, a lot of that was happening in the office. Well, we've now started hiring um, engineers remote. And we view the, you know, when we start going remote, the world sort of kind of becomes your oyster. And so it's it's not only challenges with them being remote, but then you start throwing in time time zones, and in some cases, there's there are language language challenges that you that you have to face, confront and, and deal with. And I think our team has done a really good job of in each one of those instances. We try to look at this specific problem we're trying to solve and address that in conjunction with kind of the layered effect of the fact that we are remote. You know, we are still dealing with a pandemic, and and so. I think that for me is one of one of the biggest things that we've been able to crack over the last 12 months is how to really make a team that's remote productive, keep them engaged and keeping them aligned. And that's not always easy. And that in itself, I think, is an incredible achievement. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we know that or we're fully aware of the fact that everybody's talking about working with remote teams and the environments, environments becoming more digital than physical. But the actual implementation of all of those things that you have mentioned is definitely no walk in the park. Right? It's not. And it's and it's always kind of shifting. You know, we're, we're learning more. And a lot of it really comes down. In fact, I just had a, a conversation this morning. I, I meet with everybody that joins our team mm-hmm. a couple of weeks in and then a couple of months in. And really, we continue. Even this morning, I, I got some some great feedback from one of the engineers that recently joined and understanding kind of where there are still some opportunities to kind of continue to tweak that. And that I think is more than anything I've learned over the last year is it requires a lot more listening and a lot more empathy and a lot more flexibility. Um, you know, I, I, I think we all tend to be, have our own biases and I'm, I'm one that was really biased towards being in the office. That's what I preferred personally, but I've learned that that's not, that's not the best thing for everyone. In fact, I, there was the thing that was surprising is there was a couple of people that as we went remote who really did not, were kind of kicking and streaming, screaming to go remote. And they're the most now a year later, the most adamant about staying remote. And it's been really interesting to see that shift. And I've talked to them about why. And, and it, it, I don't think we, 
things are not as obvious as I think sometimes we think they are. And that's one of the big lessons I'm learning is to be much more flexible and much more adaptable. That's absolutely right. And I think one of the things that I, um, I, I would say is, um, well, it was at least a buzzword for me in the past 12 to 15 months is unlearning things. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, yeah. everybody talks about like learning new skills mm-hmm. and, and, and shifting your strategy and approach, but there's a couple of things that were brought about as a result of the pandemic that you have to start unlearning. Like yeah. for example, one of them for me was like, okay, getting contacts um, without having to go to an in-person networking event. Right. So, so you shift, you shift that approach to LinkedIn or having conversations with, you know, people like yourself on, um, on podcasts. Right. So. Yeah. And I, and it's, and I think you're right. And I think it, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I think as a broadly, I think people are learning this because it's not just about yes. us realizing that we have, you know, we can't, we're not doing physical events. So we have to, you know, we have to find other ways to do this, but it's other people being open to those conversations. And I've seen that with yeah. recruiting and other things. I've, I do a lot of recruiting for our team as well. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. tend to, to either hire a lot, you know, we have a pretty broad network here, but you know, there's times where I've been doing recruiting myself and I'm, I'm actually surprised at how open people are now to having conversations. And even if they're not necessarily interested in moving where they're at, they're still open to having a a dialogue. And and I think that may be a byproduct of we've all been home for 15, 16, a lot of people have been home for 15, 16 months and wanting conversation with people. But um, I think your point is a really good one of, we have to unlearn a lot of things that we believed and the the biases we had. And I think that the answers aren't always the obvious ones. We sometimes have to dig a little deeper and it it's some of the softer conversations that I have that I find really drive more insight than sometimes the data itself at at, at times. So with, with, with especially as it relates to people. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely right. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second, but first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. Well, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. And so we're going to do a little bit more shop talk here, right? Great. So um, so there was a report that was released by um, a company called Corinium uh, Intelligence, right? So they highlighted results from surveys that they conducted with more than 300 senior data executives to understand how these executives are managing enterprise data assets to support reliable data-driven transformations. So here are three of the key findings, okay? So 82% of those surveyed say data quality concerns represent a barrier to data integration projects. Mm -hmm. So that's point number one. Point number two, nearly 80% find it challenging to ensure data is consistently enriched with proper context at scale, which powers more informed business decisions. That's kind of going back to the point you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I I would say. Point number three, 65% of employees who worked at the companies surveyed will only trust data-driven insights that confirm their existing gut feel. That was an interesting one for me. Signaling the gut instinct amongst employees are strong. What are your thoughts on the above? First off, let me say amen. This is what we're preaching every day of the week. So it's interesting, a a couple insights here. Yeah. You know, when we talk about data standards, we talk about data integrity. I, I think what you're seeing here is 
there's this first statistic about, you know, 82% of them talk about challenges with data integration projects because of data quality. That's exactly the way we see the world, which is you're, most organizations, I think, and again, it's, it's interesting that these are data folks that, that, have, that were surveyed, they're being handed a problem, and I think goes into the second point, without a lot of context and asked to solve it. It's, I think we're asking, that to me is you're setting people up for failure, you're setting organizations up for failure. Again, having more context, having a bridge between the data folks and the business folks is critical. And that's, I think that's number one. That, that last point is an interesting one. I think, what, I think what you see there is people talking about wanting to kind of rely, you know, validate what they believe their own gut. It comes back yeah. a little bit to what you were saying earlier about having to unlearn things. But I think mm. it, also, it also points, I think, at the first, two, the first two points of that survey, which are people are not trusting the data. They don't especially as data becomes cross channel and you're, and it's integrated. I think what's happening is there's a lot of times where that those integrations are not helpful or the data is not necessarily a lot of data gets thrown out. And so you're left with a smaller set of data. And so there's a lack of trust in, I think if it's my data for my channel, I can make decisions that are kind of sub op they're, they're optimized for my channel, but they're, Enterprise-wide, they're suboptimal in a lot of cases. I think what happens is that once you start to, to try and create a cross-channel or cross-organizational view, people lose fidelity and trust in that data. And that's where they kind of default back to what they know, which is I'm going to do what's best for me and my channel because I trust that data. I don't trust and really understand the data that's outside of, of my purview or my area of responsibility. And I think therein is, is one of the big opportunities in the enterprise, probably the biggest opportunity as it relates to optimization and released as it relates to um, creating value and extracting value from data. But I think it's also one of those areas where inherently there's a lack of trust because of a lack of transparency in that data and a lack of understanding about how this all fits together. And again, when we think of the world, those are the kind of areas that we, you know, are purpose-built to help organizations dig into and address. So to put it in layman's terms, there's plenty of room for improvement then, right? Like <laughs> I, I think there I think there is. But that's that's but I think that to me is the real opportunity in all of this. Yeah. I think we're getting to a point where we have to get past these some of these barriers. And I think we will. Yeah. I think we're at a point now where, you know, if you think of the last, you know, the 2010s to 2020 is really the age, and I was part of this at Adobe, right? I, yeah. I ran, I ran uh, the M&A practice on the Experience Cloud. We were effectively arms dealers of applications for enterprises to automate, to you know, to um, accelerate their their ability to 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 operate in this much more kind of fragmented channel world. But the flip side of that is. The 2020s to me are really the area era of data. It's now taking and saying, listen, we've got all the applications in place. The next big opportunity from a to extract value is, is actually the data itself. And that's how you're going to see the, the organizations and the companies that are good at that and have are very strategic about that and, and um, disciplined are the ones that are going to win. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um so you talked about it a little bit in the past couple of minutes, but what are uh, what is rather one of the biggest challenges that you see um, in your industry today? Like, what is one of the biggest challenges your industry is facing? 
I mean, I think it comes back to the stats that you just that you just talked about earlier. I think mm-hmm. that organizations are coming to a realization that we live in a even even we see this as individuals, we live in a very connected world, right? Much more connected than it was 10, 20 years ago. And I think data in the enterprise is exactly the same way. There, there has to be, and we have to get really intentional about this and realizing that the user experience, the um, way that we execute has to become much more integrated and that's ultimately those decisions are going to be driven by data. And so that it also inherently means that the data has to be much more integrated. And I think that if, if you can, if companies can solve that, it allows them to execute in a much more holistic and kind of really kind of freeze up. I think the way we think about execution and the way that we think about engagement with brand, you know, with customers and, 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 and um, both on the B2B side and on the B2C side. It sounds to me, at least from what you've you know been talking about um, uh, earlier in the conversation, um, it seems like a lot of organizations are still still have a long way to go in this regard. Am I right to say that? Yeah, I, I think they do. But again, it's it's shocking to me mm-hmm. how much value you can extract from small changes. It doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to have every single element of your house in order. Because again, this is a I think every organization out there is on a journey on this. And, but again, I'm a big believer that you have to start and put the foundations in place. Um, And if you don't have those in place, it's really tough to scale and it's really tough to kind of get ahead on and and get to the point where you're really kind of able to be proficient or um, excellent at using data to drive insights and to drive value. And so I think a lot of organizations have and some of this is just just inherently the way that that things have evolved is you I just continue to add applications. There's more each one of those applications is generating data. And you they miss that next step, which is okay, as we as we evolve to the data side, let's hand the problems off to the data team, let them fix this. But the reality is, is that there has to be an enterprise strategy across the the business and the and the data side, and there have to be standards put in place. And, and we have to view this as a, it's a, it's a team approach to winning this. And it, this whole idea of like, this is the data team's problem, the analyst problem, it's not my problem. I got them the data. That's, that's just not gonna be, that's not sufficient, I don't think going forward. But again, I think a lot of organizations see this and are moving quickly. And the great thing is there's a bunch of real advancements that are being made right now um, and you see it, you see in the last year, a lot of companies, you know, Snowflake and others that are in Databricks, there's a lot of companies um, that are really kind of moving cloud infra- uh, inf- data infrastructure into the cloud and becoming much more this kind of the way that, that we saw the evolution on the, on the application side coming to the data side. I love that you use the term evolution because I would um I, I would almost liken the situation to something uh you, you know if you remember um back in the day our biology class like because this whole thing is an ecosystem right and you think about every organism and that particular organism's role within that ecosystem to make it prosper and flourish and you know the symbiosis and how how one feeds off the other and whatnot. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I think there's a little bit of natural selection that happens as well. Yes. So, you know, let's be clear, like yeah. in that in that model, if, yeah. if you aren't able to quickly evolve and you aren't able to to really 
change the way that you as an organization operate in this new world, it, it, I think you're going to see an acceleration of, mm-hmm. of um, disruption yeah. if companies are not careful. But I do still fundamentally believe in this notion that large organizations are sitting on what I think is a really interesting opportunity to slow down if they're and and to put and push out that that disruption because of the size and scale of the data that they have if they are able to leverage that properly and that is going to require a real change in the way we think about solving data quality data integrity and enterprise data problems it has to be an enterprise approach we can no longer have people handing off the problems to the data teams the business has to be involved the data teams have to be evolved. They have to be aligned. And I think that to me is where you're going to see a huge separation between companies that do this well. And, and there's, a, there's a number of examples out there of this already. Yeah, just something else uh, came to mind and I thought it was really important to bring up um, while we're on the topic of data, Pearl. So you can't, you can't like not talk about data without talking about how to prevent data from being compromised and all the threats that are out there, especially as everything becomes increasingly digital. So what are your thoughts on that? It, it is a big challenge, I think, that everyone's confronting. And I think it's becoming more of an issue recently. Um, what I would say is this, and it's, there are issues internally around, when we talk about data security, there are, there are threats from the outside, there are threats from the inside. There are also real challenges in the way that you think about on one hand, you've got a business users that need real-time decisioning and real-time, we live in a real-time world. And on the other hand, what that means is that your, you know, your data, you know, the, the runtime and the data, the data analysis and everything is happening closer than to where the execution happens. And there's and this notion that there's security on the data side, but then there's there's not necessarily the same level of security on the application side becomes a real challenge. When, when you think about the demands that are being put on the data teams um, and the, the need for the organization to have runtime and, and execution so much closer to each other. And I think it's gonna be something that organizations have top of mind. We see it in all the discussions we have. I think organizations are taking this very, very seriously, especially in the enterprise. Um, but, but the other part of this is, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna play, downplay this at all, it's surprising to me how many breaches, I think we sort of become a little bit numb to it as well. I think consumers now here this week, this company, you know, this organization had a data breach and here and here and here. And, and it's shocking to me how organizations have learned to kind of duck and then reemerge. And it's kind of like the, the assumption is the storm is blown by. So they hunker down, the storm is blown by and it's somebody else. And so, but, but I think that's a, that is a short-sighted way to address this. It's something that there are a lot of companies out there, um, it's startups specifically, that are lit- literally focused on solving these problems. And it's going to become one more element and, and level of complexity in how companies are going to have to architect their solutions to address, again, not just data quality and data integrity and integration, but also you, know, you, you overlay on that the security and other requirements. And it does become challenging and it does become require, again, this whole idea of putting the foundations in place is critical. In the same time, the world is shifting constantly. And that's where I think you're gonna see 
some of, some of the challenges that exist continue to be um, for the next, that's why I think for the next 10 years, this space is going to continue to evolve and, and, uh, and emerge uh, in, in ways that we probably today don't even see because the threats are continuing to, to, to evolve and emerge. Yeah, those are some really great observations. But um, so just to those points that you've brought up, um, going back to something you said earlier in the conversation about prevention before detection, because, you know, you don't want to, you don't, organizations probably shouldn't be like reacting to a data breach or to no. data being compromised. So what can they do now to get these systems and processes in place that will help to probably not completely eliminate, but minimize or reduce uh, threats to, data, to their own data? Yeah, I think some of, some of this has to do with, you know, understanding in the, in the enterprise that we've seen with the kind of emergence of this cloud data infrastructure, no longer is, is it enough that, you know, data is no longer centralized in one kind of data warehouse or, you know, one location, I don't want to call it location, but in, 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 a, in a single instance, we have situations now where it's much more distributed. People have, you know, people in the organization with a swipe of a credit card can stand up a data instance and flow a bunch of data into an, in, you know, an instance that IT or other organizations do not even have purview into. And so what it's going to require, again, I go back to, there has to be an organizational strategy that's not just the IT or data teams have a data strategy, but it has to extend to the business. And if we don't, have an enterprise-wide data strategy. And it's shocking to me how many the data does shows that very you know uh, the minority of companies out there have this. It's not just about a data strategy around how to utilize and how to you know um, really kind of benefit from the data, but it's also around security because the technology that that's out there now from a kind of cloud-based data infrastructure creates much more flexibility, much more ways to, to, for organizations to, to use and leverage data, but it also creates another set of, set of challenges, which I think are, are becoming even more incumbent on the organizations to be you know, what I call proactive and have a much broader kind of in place, a much broader data strategy, but it's one that can evolve and it has to be one that has input from both sides and is, is, is um, enterprise-wide and not just certain parts of the organization are owning and managing and enforcing. Business people, again, are, are have yeah. real, real serious access to data, which is important, but also you yes. have challenges. Well, and again, it goes back to what you said before. It's a collective responsibility and organizations cannot afford to be complacent and sit on this. No. Yeah. And, I think, and I think people have a much better, I think generally, not just, you know, it's much broader uh, enterprise, uh, Cross the enterprise awareness of some of what these challenges are because we're hearing more and more about it and people read more and more about it. So, um, on to the next question, which we've talked about before. Um, you know, a commonly held belief, um, status quo that you passionately disagree with in your area of expertise and why? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. Yeah. One is, and I hear this a lot, like I hear people talk about, you know, and, and you hit on it a little bit earlier, which is we're, we call it, we call it kind of organizational entropy, which is people get comfortable with making decisions off of incomplete data and assuming they have to kind of continue to live that way. And there's a lot of, it's interesting that we've come this far and everybody talks about um, data-driven decisions, 
And yet people are making decisions off their guts time and time and time again. And I'm always shocked by that. And we also hear this a lot of times where pe- I, I talk to organizations, they're like, you know, we've become comfortable living with the notion that it's a certain, num- certain percentage of our data, 20, 30% is just, is just, we know it's problematic, 40%. It's problematic, but what do we do? And, and they kind of just keep operating that way. So I think this, what we call organizational entropy is, is one of the things that out there is, I think that this, this is changing. There are companies that are looking at this saying that's not good enough, especially as they're seeing the implications downstream now in some of the investments they're making in machine learning. I was talking to um, a very senior person at Deloitte and he just said, listen, we've, we've worked with organizations to make, help them stand up huge investments in machine learning. And what we're seeing time and time again is the size of the data set that they're able now to decision off of because of the constraints on, as it relates to how the, how the data is not, uh, they're not able to, you know, kind of integrate data well, it creates a sense, a, a situation where we're really struggling for them to make our, to create ROI off those investments because the size of the data becomes so small. And, and he was talking to me about, you know, if, if you enrich the relationships between these data, you do a better job of allowing this integration, you can massively improve and increase the size of that data set. So I think, you know, I think that is this whole idea that data quality the way it is, is good enough. I, I just don't think that's, I don't think the organizations that are thinking forward are looking at saying, let's start chipping away at that because there's, there are too many, there are too many issues here. We've got to start chipping away at them one at one. And it's not all going to be solved down in the data pipeline. It's, and it's not all going to be solved by the data teams. You've got to involve the business people who have a lot of the context and a lot of the insights as to what this stuff is that they're, that's being handed off downstream. And right. yeah, so. Yeah. And there's an incredible amount of moving parts too, right? I mean, there are. Yeah. Okay. So just to, just to wrap up the conversation, just a, you know, the, um, a piece of advice that you give people out there. So one thing that you think they should start and one thing you think they should stop when it comes to data integrity. Yeah. Again, I think, I think one of the things I would stop is data integrity is not the data team's problem. I think that's one thing I would stop, have companies stop thinking about. Like you can't think of the world as, Data quality, data integrity, that is the data team, that is the data analyst, that's data engineering folks' problem. And it's I on the business side, it's not my issue. I, you know, I handed it off, it's, it's their problem. I think that's one thing I would say that needs to stop happening. And I think the other side of that is, on what, what I would think start doing is really enabling your business, the business to be part of the, the business folks to be part of the solution here. You know, I think there's there's sometimes this notion that, you know, the the data teams. I think there's also bias on the data side. They they, they believe they have the, the the business doesn't really understand the problems. I think there's a real need for organizations to start communicating more clearly between those two sides. You know, between the business and the and the data teams, because that's where the solutions are going to come out. And that's again that goes back to what I was saying much earlier from our organization. This communication has to happen. There has to be a common way and a language at which these organizations talk about these these challenges. That's how you're going to solve these problems. Yeah, no, that's some really great advice. And you know, it, to your point, it's really about like you know uh, looking at that organization and its culture, its mindset, um, the systems they have in place, or if they don't have them in place, how they're going to implement them in order to enact these changes. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah and, and I think you have to be careful. And some of this is going back to the basics mm-hmm. and making sure you have the foundation in place Yes. to, to create that scale because the scale is, is critical. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Merle, uh, this has been such a great conversation. So thanks so much for your time. Um, please do us the uh, honor of uh, introducing yourself and uh, let us know how folks out there can connect with you. Yeah, so it's Verl Allen. You know, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a entrepreneur. I love what I do every day. I feel blessed to be able to come work here with the people that I, I get to work with and the customers. We have some of the greatest, biggest brands in the world that work with us. And it's a privilege every day to help them solve really interesting, challenging problems. Um, you know, prior to, to Clarivine, I spent 11 years, almost 12 years in enterprise software at Adobe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we did a great job there and they continue to do a great job of kind of building out this incredible resource for marketing organizations and, you know, across the whole experience, kind of digital experience landscape. And I think that, you know, the thing that really gets me excited is this, this evolution and this explosion on the application side to me is, is, is really pushing on this next big problem around data. And that is what um, really gets me excited and, and really kind of motivates me to kind of keep going every day. So I love what I do. Fantastic. And it was really a privilege to have you on the show. So thanks again for your time. Christian, Um, thanks so much. It was great to meet you and great to spend time with you today. All right. Take care. Be safe and talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.